Hello, and welcome to the Switchboard podcast. Funded by the Office of Refugee Resettlement, Switchboard is a one-stop resource hub for refugee service providers in the United States. My name is Kristen Guskovit. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and subject matter expert working with Switchboard to provide self-care and staff care resources. I have over 15 years of experience working with refugees and other immigrants and have spent the last five years focused on staff care initiatives within the refugee, immigrant, humanitarian provider community. You can find me at heartofaidwork.com. Today, I'm so thrilled to be joined by Dr. Adayinka Akinshalure Smith, a licensed psychologist originally from Sierra Leone. Dr. Akinshalure Smith is a tenured professor in the Department of Psychology at the City College of New York. Since 1999, she has provided care for forced migrants, as well as survivors of torture, armed conflict, and human rights abuses from around the world at the Bellevue NYU Program for Survivors of Torture. Dr. Akinshalure Smith has participated in human rights investigations in Sierra Leone with Physicians for Human Rights and the United Nations Mission in Sierra Leone Human Rights Division. She has also served as a joint expert on gender crimes and post-traumatic stress disorder for the International Criminal Court. Through the years, her work has taught her about the impact of secondary traumatic stress, vicarious trauma, and compassion fatigue, highlighting the importance of self-care. Drawing on her experiences and research in this area, Dr. Kinchalare Smith has conducted workshops addressing the importance of self-care with mental health service providers nationally and internationally. Linka, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a part of a series of self-care blog posts and podcasts that Switchboard has developed over the past several weeks. This week, we're going to focus our conversation around what organizations can do to support their staff. So let's get started. Yinka, before the podcast began, you and I were talking about the importance of staff care programming. What do you think it is that makes this such a critical issue, especially today? Well, given, I mean, already it is such an issue when we think about the populations and the communities that we work with and in, uh, and now you throw in the pandemic. COVID-19, um, that has created an additional layer of stressor for everyone involved. And I think one of the challenges, of course, is that all of our organizations are generally so focused on the, the beneficiary, the client in the end, that even in good times, we don't always take that step to, to think about our staff and think about their needs um, because we're so fixated on the short timelines that we have to work with clients and the needs that they have. And the needs are, of course, even more extreme right now. But right now is the only time that we have ever really sort of needed to be able to take that step back and say, hang on a second, are our staff okay? And can they provide the services that they need for their clients in the way that everything is working right now? And do they have the resources that they need from us? Absolutely. I mean, as, as you just beautifully put it, historically, we have been working really hard to provide care for our clients, helping them adjust to new settings, uh, find work, deal with language issues, transitions. And now we're worried about, we're worried about additional burdens that they face whether it's their essential worker jobs, um, you know, stocking shelves, driving taxis. I know a lot of our clients wind up serving as home health aides, caring for the elderly, uh, getting to work, taking public transportation. Um, these are stressors. And then worried about whether they will still have those jobs, whether they will be laid off, 
for those who are going through the whole asylum process, what does this mean in terms of their hearings? You know, so there are all these additional layers, rent, food, on top of the stressors, worrying about people in their home countries who are also now being exposed to a pandemic. That creates stresses. So we're trying to hold them while now we find ourselves in the midst of it all. Uh, we are also dealing with the crisis that the pandemic has um, wrought. So it's like we're dealing with, with multiple uh, stressors all at the same time. And so it becomes even more important that our organizations are able to be there for our service providers as we care for populations that are also very, very stressed out. Absolutely. And I think one of the challenges that our case management staff is probably dealing with is the idea that usually they are the people that hold sort of the magic wand, right? The people that somehow come up with a way to solve the problem. And right now there are so many competing problems that there are real severe limits on what they can offer and what they can provide, which adds that extra stress on them because I think they often feel like the bad guy because they can't deliver what somebody needs. And even though sort of rationally we can look around and say, obviously we can't do everything, there's that part of this work that is fully heart and the desire to be able to help and do everything that you can is so limited right now that I, I think it's, like you said, even more crucial that our organizations are, are holding space for our colleagues as well as our colleagues holding space for their, their clients. And, and, and this, this, is, this is where I think some of the challenges come in because many of us come into this work because, you know, we have good and big hearts we want to do for others. And, you know, already historically we tend to forget about ourselves. And then you have this added burden. So the challenge becomes the organization recognizing that and really trying to press and find creative ways uh, above and beyond to provide support for their staff so that the staff does not burn out, wear out. Right. So we don't lose good people because they just can't do it anymore. What would you say are some of the most effective elements of staff care programs? Well, I think that the, the first one is just recognizing it that we don't bury our heads in the sand and say, well, this is what you're supposed to do, tough it out, brave it out. No, that we recognize that our staff needs support and assistance. So, so I think that's the first part is just the recognition that staff care is, is something that has to be prioritized. And then it's, it's, you know, being creative, you know, reaching out. Do people need help? What kind of support would be helpful? Rather than, you know, maybe pushing things that people might feel as an additional burden, well, what could be helpful? You know, having conversations with your staff about suggestions, options, flexibility in terms of what that support looks like, you know, and being willing and open to have that conversation. The other thing I would say is information. In our current crisis, there's a lot of unknowns. What do we do to protect ourselves? How do we protect other people? Uh, what should we do? How should we do it? I, I think coming up with some kind of information that you're going to share, provide your staff with also is important because when people feel like they're informed, when they feel they're part of the decision making, there is more buy-in 
And there is a sense of, okay, my organization does care about me. They're giving me information. They trust that I know. And, and that also creates a, a, a sense of relief, if you will. That is so important to be able to understand at least the idea that the organization has, even if decisions will change so that we don't feel like we're completely afloat, but there's a direction and there's a plan in place. I think it does create a lot of security, makes us feel a little bit more anchored. And I, I think the thing, the, the thought also about, um, I mean, as I said earlier on, mm-hmm. hearing from members of the staff, what they, what has been helpful for them, what they think they would like. And if you will, creating like a smorgasbord of, if that's the right word, of mm-hmm. um, options so that nobody feels locked into, oh, this is what I have to do. You know, may- maybe, you know, meditation doesn't work for me. Maybe, you know, yes, the Zoom meetings are wonderful. <laughs> the technology is great, but maybe I'm feeling zoomed out. And maybe we can make some things optional so that people get to choose here these different things um, what what will work best for you and when are you going to do it you know how consistent are we going to be about giving people the space and the time are, are some of the things I mean trusting that people will do things you know flexibility and expectations of when things are going to get done and work hours I think is also something key to let people know that you, you, you respect them as professionals and you believe that they will do what they say they will do within the time frame that they are able to do it. Uh, many of us are also dealing with, you know, not just our clients, but those who have children, families with them, you know, so they're juggling all these things. How do we recognize that within the framework of the organization while helping and supporting our clients. I love the idea of this smorgasbord of ideas that might be helpful. It occurs to me that, of course, some of our our colleagues that are listening may very well still be doing home visits um, for some of their clients, in which case we want to be paying attention to safety and making sure that that information that you were giving and that conversation that we're having about you know, is this something you still feel comfortable with? And if not, what do you need? How can we be supportive? And if so, what can we learn from that, right? Making sure that the organization is taking that back and putting it back on the smorgasbord for other people to learn from. I I think that that opportunity to sort of really grow together and, and nurture each other is incredibly helpful. One thing that I think I would add is just making sure that the space for supervision is always there, whether it be clinical or reflective or supportive, or maybe your organization has never really done that before. Maybe supervision has always been sort of task oriented. This might be the time to have a fuller conversation about the things that are hard and what makes them hard and what the organization might be doing to be more supportive. Absolutely. Supervision is key. So what type is it just going to be, again, with, you know, the pulls on resources? Is it just going to be one person? Is it going to be more than one person meeting to discuss the challenges beyond just the administrative, do this, do that? You know, really, really checking in with people and encouraging them to, you know, create, as I was told recently, not necessarily a safe space because we can't always guarantee that, but a brave space where people can you know, really talk about how the work is challenging and how they're coping. 
and a, a space in which, again, it's recognized that, you know, we're doing the best we can under very, very challenging circumstances. I love that concept of a brave space because it really is that when you're willing to have that conversation about the challenges and the coping. Like you said, there's so many things on everybody's plates right now from worries about family and homeschooling and needs within the household to all of the client needs. It's sort of immense. And so I like the idea of being able to bravely go into a space and discuss it openly. And so I wanted to ask one more question. And that is, you know, if a supervisor is seeing uh, one of their uh, staff really struggling, what's some advice that you might have as to how to support them or how to provide support to them? I think to acknowledge, to point out, to share your observations with them, offer support. I think it's a really good thing for all of us to have resources in our back pockets or our front pockets or wherever you keep them that you can share with people. There are, I think, I I am aware of a number of organizations, mental health organizations that have support that they're offering. Uh, So, you know, having those resources at hand that you can share. And again, I think though it's all about the framing, the way we frame the support we're offering. We're not saying, oh, you look like you're having a really hard time. You're really struggling. Do this. Take care of that. But, you know, to do it in an empathetic, caring, again, trauma-informed way, because one of the things we need to realize is, yes, we've been working with trauma clients, often people who have been traumatized, but yet it's important to recognize that during this time, whether we have a trauma history or not, this is traumatic for all of us. We are all going through something that we've never been through before. You know, the last pandemic was in what 1918 is what they've said. We haven't gone through this directly except for people, for example, who may have been through Ebola, but we're all going through this and recognizing that, discussing it in, a, in an empathetic, supportive way. Um, I think is is going to be key to that discussion that one might have with uh, a supervisee or a colleague who we see struggling. I think you make a really good point about that, having that empathetic response. Sometimes we are so good at helping our clients, and then somehow we turn around to our colleagues and turn into a different person. We're not empathetic at all. We're just sort of short, and people will say they're being to the point, but they're they're creating an atmosphere that might not be that supportive at all. It might be the opposite of that. It might be sort of more to, more toxic if we're not using that empathetic approach, if we've used it all on our clients and we don't turn around to our colleagues and have that same level of caring and compassion. And so I do think there's a lot to be said for how are we interacting with each other, especially if you're going to talk about something as important as you might need more support, you might want to think about counseling, that sort of thing. Um, But even just in general interactions, when we're able to look at our clients and have this level of compassion and patience, we have to be able to then look at our colleagues and have that level of compassion and patience and recognize, like you said, that there's just so much on everybody's plates. And everyone is going through something so traumatic. We've all got very short bandwidths right now. Our attention span might not be the same. Our ability to remember things might not be the same. Our ability to make quick decisions might not be the same. And yet we still need to be able to work together. I think it's also important to remember that 
just as with our clients, their needs vary dramatically. You know, some people might need a little more, some people might need a little less. It's a similar thing for our staff. It's a similar thing for our our organization. So there's no one size that's going to be right for everyone. But just being willing to be flexible, to give options, uh, to give space, uh, creating that within the organization is going to be so key moving on from here as we move along. Absolutely. And part of that for supervisors is being able to recognize their own challenges. So if there are certain staff that you happen to have more compassion for than others, giving yourself space to look at that and what do you need, either from the organization or outside, to be able to provide that support for all of your staff. Yeah, I guess, yeah. again, I mean, the last thing is just while, you know, there's so many things that we're used to doing face-to-face that we can't do, I think with the technology, there are ways in which we can try to share information, support each other, provide resources, you know, create peer support networks as well that I think can also help alleviate some of the compassion fatigue folks might be experiencing. Yinka, thank you so much for joining us today. I have so thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with you. And I know that I took a lot away from it. I hope that our our listeners have as well. If anyone has any questions following on to this podcast, we have in the past done question and answer blog posts and podcasts. So please feel free to submit them. And we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, sending love and light to all of us out there who are doing this really incredible work. Thank you.